Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Damien Chazelle, the, the director, may go like, you know, uh, in this one rocket launch sequence, he wants it to feel like um, uh, Saving Private Ryan or... Das Boot. I kind of like uh, directors who with like film references that is like totally not what you think. It makes me try to think out of the box. Hello and welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Karen Hahn. And I am your other host, Isaac Butler. And whose voice were we just listening to? So we were just listening to the voice of this week's guest, Ling Lee. Uh, she is a prolific very highly acclaimed and in-demand sound editor. She's actually even been nominated for the Oscar, I think, twice, uh, who worked on La La Land, First Man, Free Guy, Jojo Rabbit. I mean, it's a really it's a really wide uh, filmography. She's worked on literally dozens of movies. That's amazing. And so what do Slate Plus listeners have in store for them this week? So uh, Slate Plus listeners get a couple bonus tidbits from the interview that were left on the cutting room floor. Uh, first off, we're talking with Eileen uh, Lee about what soundscapes or kinds of movies she's never worked in that she's always wanted to try. And then we talk about how very big advances in sound recording and software technology have changed her job over the last 20 years. That sounds so cool. So listeners, if you want to hear this and you are not a Slate Plus member, you can sign up today at slate.com slash working plus. It is $1 for your first month and Slate Plus members get zero ads on any Slate podcast, bonus content on our show and other shows like Slow Burn and the Culture Gap Fest. And you get full access to the articles on Slate.com so you won't run into that pesky paywall. Last but not least, you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working. Again, it's $1 for your first month and you can sign up today at Slate.com slash Working Plus. Now let's hear Isaac's interview with sound editor Ai Lang Lee. This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Working to talk about your process. I'm very happy to. Thanks for having me here. So I'm guessing many of our listeners don't really know what sound editors and sound mixers do. I mean, they maybe see those clips at the Oscars, you know, where they take all the sound out or whatever, but that's sort of where it stops. So, you know, if you had to explain your job, like to someone at a party or whatever, what do you tell them? You know, it's kind of like, you know, what I do is sound for film. So more for like uh, in the post-production process. So, So that means it's after the film has been shot the ambiences that you hear, the uh, monsters or explosions or car crash or even like um, the dialogue that you hear that are like clean, pristine, without any weird clunks here and there uh, or uh, the ADR, which is like dialogue replacement and uh, Foley movements like, you know, just even footsteps or hand grabs. A lot of those sounds are then created or edited in post-production sound and that's where uh, you know sound editors comes in and then all those materials will then have to be you know put together decided on like you know what works what doesn't and um, that will be a sound mixer's job a re-recording mixer's job so how did you get interested in, in post-production sound work? Was there a moment when you realized, first of all, that this was a job that existed, and uh, second of all, that it's what you really wanted to do with your life? I'm from Singapore, and uh, growing up, you know, we love watching movies. You know, it can be, you know, Hollywood films or Hong Kong films and TV dramas and whatnot. Um, but besides enjoying movies, you know, as a teenager and, uh, and growing up, um, I did, like, realize how sound could help bring an audience into the world of the scene of the movie. Um, visual effects and all be they all look great, uh, but I sometimes I feel like you know the sound you know help makes it real. And mm-hmm. even when you don't see it, you hear it. Like even like if you hear T Rex, like you know foot stomps. Um, with, uh, the, uh, yeah, the with the glass. Yeah, with the ripple. Jurassic yeah. Park that does the ripples with the yeah. foot stomps. That's like one of the great sound moments of the 1990s. I just thought, hey, man, this is really amazing. You know, wish I could be a part of, you know, filmmaking. And eventually, well, in Singapore, at the time, they didn't really have much of a film program. Mm -hmm. This is about like 1994 or whatever. Um, So then I went to audio um, engineering school more for like uh, studying uh, the physics of sound and also like uh, recording and mixing music more yeah. off. Um, so from there, I was still trying to find my way, like how am I going to like get through to this like filmmaking world? And so um, ended up like finding work in a small like post-production studio in Singapore that does mostly 
radio, TV commercials, and music. And so from there, you know, I picked up a lot of experience and how it is like collaborating with other like for commercials, like other producers and stuff mm. with like ideas and whatnot. But uh, all in all, you know, I still wanted to do movies. Um, so decided to kind of like you no. Know, look through credits um, and uh, note down like the names of the people that I like that I work on and where they worked at and mm. writing letters and introducing myself and unsolicited, but just to see if, you know, I could stop by. And and some people said yes to that? Yeah, I was wow. kind of surprised. Um, I guess amazing. I lucked out because I'm pretty sure lots of people try to do that. But um, so, yeah, so I just like, you know, pack my bags and so to talk about your your work today how early in the process of making a film do you tend to be hired does it change from movie to movie or you or is it usually around the same moment or sometimes i you know we'd start being hired before pre-production starts mm-hmm. but sometimes can be as late as once they have finished shooting a film and uh working on that the director's cut do you like having the long lead time or is there something about the compressed deadline that, that helps fuel you uh, inspiration-wise? I mean, I do like to have more time to prep. Mm-hmm. If, you know, we are hired on bef- during pre-production, which means, you know, before they have started shooting a movie or anything, you know, uh, in a sense it's good because then I can read this script and note down, you know, uh, what research I need to do. Um, any sounds I need to record, start an early discussion with the director, you know, Mm. if there's any like reference films that they have for sound. Obviously, you recently worked on Cinderella, which has been in in, in theaters recently and that people can see. Do Do you remember like what the initial points of inspiration were for that for that film? Like when you were reading the script about sort of where your mind went to immediately? So it's musical. And of course, a fairy tale. It's a, it's a, you know, like a twist, a new take on the fairy tale. Mm-hmm. So besides the period stuff and this fairy tale, you know, um, typically you may want to like um, lean more towards a Disney esque kind of thing. But just with the subject matter, how how the twist is, we try to. I think the soundscape, the sound palette, the a- ambience, environments, you know. Um, wouldn't be too Disney-esque. Uh, it should be maybe a bit more grounded. C- can I just ask what a Disney-esque sound environment oh, what, what it sounds like? Like, you know, those like really, really pretty like Tweety Birds and like singing a <laughs> songbird. Um, right. Things like that. That uh, turns out that, you know, Kay Cannon, the director, also felt the same thing. Like, um, so, um, so or even the magic... We do have like chimes kind of sound for the magic, but um, we try not to make it too cute. Oh, look at that. (laughs) This is, this is different. And so in those initial conversations with the director, like what do you find most helpful to hear from them? For me, it's kind of like what I had mentioned earlier, like film sound references. Or if, say, if they have an idea of, like, um, like say, on First Man, mm-hmm. 
Damien Chazelle, the, the director, may go like, you know, uh, in this one rocket launch sequence, he wants it to feel like um, uh, Saving Private Ryan or Das Boot. Mm-hmm. Things that are not like your straightforward, like, hey, here's a rocket space movie, um, you know, look at the right stuff. Or, I mean, which sounds great, but uh, I kind of like uh, directors who with like, film references that is like totally not what you think it kind of makes me try to think out of the box a bit and then do you go and watch those films and kind of deconstruct them to figure out what is sonically going on uh yeah so definitely like once we you know say if they have some film references you know I'll, I'll start watching them and uh, note down you know like maybe in in that case you know, for Das Boot it's more about uh, how enclosed you are and how these submarines, you can hear all the groans and creaks and it just feels so dangerous that at any one moment, you know, it could just, they could all just die. And, you know, while for Saving Private Ryan, is about that immersiveness in that sense. I'm very interested in your research process, particularly for things set before the advent of recorded sound when we don't have, we don't really 100% know what they sound like. I mean, we have written records of what they sound like, but we don't have, you know, a tape recording of 17th century London or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, technological change has had such an impact on what everything around us sounds like. So how do you research as part of your process? We, besides like location and stuff, you know, like you said, like uh, we may see, you know, like uh, what tools, uh, say if it's a 17th century setting, like say for Cinderella. Right. We kind of like do some research. So, so um, but it's like 17th century, but then the director wanted it to be more of an international crowd, village. Mm-hmm. You have horse carriages. Um, there will be a lot of like um, ironworks going. Um, and then when you're in the village, you know, um, because of the international part of it, so we'll have like walla, which is kind of like, kind of like crowd recording, where you hear some like shout outs here and there of some words picking through in different languages. Like you know, so besides like the British English kind of language, we may have some Thai or Russian. Um, mm-hmm. things that pokes through um, yeah and like horses and stuff so right, right. all historic thing that we'd be doing like you know, on cobblestone and stuff uh, if we can yeah. um, right because a hoof on a cobblestone sounds very different from a hoof on asphalt yes hoof uh, on that is for real is. yes so I assume correct me if I'm wrong you have some sort of like digital library of like hooves in mud Hooves on cobblestone, hooves on, or, you know, whatever. Right. Is, is that sort of the starting point is that you have like sort of a vast collection of, of already existing sounds that you can play with. And then there's other ones you need to go out and make. Yes, um, exactly right. So, you know, we'll have like a, what we call like a sound library, sound effects library mm-hmm. called SoundMiner, at least the, the software that I use. Um, it's like a library search software. You can just call up like say, you know, uh, horse on cobblestone and then they will show out a list of like you know dozens and dozens of uh, options and then you just uh, audition them to see you know what could work what could not work 
but then you know sometimes say like on Jojo Rabbit because um, it's like a World War Two era um, so some like if I wanted to you know look for a World War Two German you know truck or something um i'm you know i may not get the specific thing that we may want maybe uh then you know um we would then you know at that time uh for at least for that movie you know we talked to the production mixer who would then like um he did extra recordings Mm. with the truck that they used for filming um oh so that you would have some sonic options from the actual yeah And then, and then, you know, uh, it just lucked out too because oftentimes on movie sets, sometimes you may see a car, for example, like an Aston Martin or um, like a vintage car, an older one especially, uh, even a, a 20s or 30s car. Uh, they may look like it is, but the engine, they are like modern engines mm-hmm. so that they could run and function on set to be filmed but for sound it is not good for us but uh in the case of say like jojo rabbit it's like they were the right engines and everything so yeah wow i never would have thought of that yeah so you know for each of these sound effects you're often reviewing you know dozens and dozens of ones it's, it's such painstaking detail work so i have to ask do you take breaks? I mean, how long do you go? Do you get exhausted doing this, having to like audition each of these things that are part where your brain fogs over? Because uh, I think about like editing writing, right? I'm a writer. Yeah. So I think about when I have my page edits, there comes a certain point where I'm like, if I see another comma, <laughs> I am going to jump out this window. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you feel that way sometimes? How do you take breaks uh, during your work? Yeah, uh, good question. So yeah, totally. We, we do get into you know, that kind of um, phase, that those those moments. Um uh even even just like besides looking through sounds it's also about uh assembling them and working on right. it and you know sometimes some scenes are quiet but sometimes they are like lots of explosions and gunshots and car chases so it can be you know your ears are kind of pounded by the loud volume too so and of course we have all those crazy tight deadlines and long hours but um it is good and important to walk away sometimes <laughs> um to, to, you know, clear your brain or, you know, take a walk or, I don't know, have a cup of coffee or tea. Um, go, go make a tea or something. Um, you know, you kind of like to have a step back and look at it again. And then you, sometimes you may go like, what the hell did I just work on? Um, uh, that just do, <laughs> I mean. Uh, or, or, you know, or maybe you may have a new perspective or anything. Yeah. So right. it's good to walk away sometimes. We'll be back with more of Isaac's conversation with Eileen Lee after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Whether it's to ask us for advice on a creative problem or tell us a guest you'd like to hear on the show or share your own creative triumphs or all of the above, drop us a line at working at slate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. 
And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's return to Isaac's conversation with Eileen Lee. So, you know, part of your job, we've, we've talked about it a little bit. Part of your job is, of course, also creating sounds that aren't real, that don't exist in the world, whether it's a magic spell or a laser gun and free guy or, you know, um, I, I know you weren't the sound effects designer, but one of the films you worked on, a, a, you know, with Man of Steel, you've got all of Superman's abilities. I mean, you know, there's a lot of these things, particularly as you know, comic book films and blockbusters take over more and more of the marketplace. A lot of your job is making sounds that aren't real, that don't exist in the world. So how do you approach that? I mean, because is it a different process from finding the exact right hoof on a cobblestone? Yeah. So we may see like, you know, say if it's a laser shooting out, you know, my first thing would be to go into a synth, um, a software synth, so it can be like I could use Massive or use Reactor, um, you know, Absence or whatever to on the keyboard, like a MIDI keyboard. Like a MIDI, like a MIDI controller. Yeah, you yeah have MIDI, like controller. A MIDI controller. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. You said to help perform some of it. And or and then after that, you know, maybe I'll run it through um, some plugins, like maybe some distortion plugins mm-hmm. or a plugin to stutter it or Doppler it. Dopplers and like you know when the sound goes by one point source it would the pitch would bend and right. um, stuff uh, or you know you can't even like I've used like guitar squeal electric guitar squeals and stuff before mm-hmm. just anything um, you know that may have a bit more of a musicality in it I guess do you play music did you did you train to play music as a kid or take piano lessons or whatever I mean I mean I was given a choice to learn piano or uh, this like thing they call it organ but it's not mm-hmm. like the organ from church it's like those japanese at yamaha school like they have this kind of organ thing there was a composer the very first episode that i ever did of this show was a uh, miho hazama a jazz composer and she began her career like, <laughs> learning as a student to play those exact oh, same really? organs okay. so our longtime <laughs> listeners will know the exact thing you're talking about oh now. okay cool cool wow that's impressive yeah. um so yeah so I thought, well, a piano was too normal, so I picked the organ. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I don't know, as a kid, you know, so I thought, you know, that kind of, you know, give you a little bit of a skill set, you know, with the whole piano thing and also, you know, some, like, electronic um, synthy thing and also with the paddles. That takes a lot of right. coordination. And, um, you know, in... Um, secondary school which is kind of like high school here i guess um so i I was in like the school band um i played clarinet it's interesting to me because that early that early you know you didn't become a jazz keyboardist or whatever but that early (laughs) training is still very relevant you're still you know changing the electronic sounds using a midi keyboard you know it's actually very relevant to your work life yeah, yeah. And and also I just feel like with music, you know, with what we do in even even like soundful features, um as no, cuz I do mostly sound design and you know, re-recording mixing. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, you know, when you design something or when you build a scene, uh you ne- it's always good to have like to map it out to see what the arc is and and some oftentimes like the musical musicality of the pitch or when you have a break and you know it's i don't know i think as a human as an audience even though you may not really quite equate like sound like um 
you know, a car chase or, you know, uh, a right. gunfight as like uh, music. But in a sense, if sometimes if you build it up at, the, uh, you know, it's almost like you ramp up something and then you give it a pause or whatever. Those right. kind of musical sensibility, I guess, um, does, you know, help. Yeah, and do you think about the pitch of the sounds in relationship to the pitch of the score? I mean, is that a yeah. thing that you're actively... Because I was thinking about, you know, in the um, Michael Mann film Thief, there's a there's a heist scene where they're burning a hole in a safe with a torch. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of not really music. And then when they successfully break the safe, the music starts in. And uh, Tangerine Dream wrote the music to that scene to the pitch of the torch. They figured out the pitch of the torch, and then the music is in the same key yes. as the sound effects, so it would really feel like it came together. So I didn't know if that happens on the other end as well, if you think about that. We try to do that, but, you know, oftentimes, you know, with what we do, you know, when we start on the movie, um, the composer hasn't really been on much either, uh, that early either, and so, you know, um, we may get a lot of temp music right. that we would try sometimes you know, try to stay out of the way of the music or, or see how we could blend it in. Um, but, you know, that's why it's kind of like great to work, like say on the Damien Chazelle movie where uh, Justin Hurwitz, the composer, he starts like early, like sometimes he starts during production or like day one of post-production and his office is like right, the composer's office is like right next door. So, all of these are really rare um, in filmmaking. And so when we start work on the sound, besides getting the picture and the dialogue, we also have Justin's um, early mock-up score that like, uh, we can try to you know, design um, sounds that, like, say, you know, on First Man, like, even just how the rocket sounds, the spaceship sound, and the silence of the drone of it would blend it into his... Mm-hmm the start of his music and stuff. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. So I have to ask, you know, being this hyper-focused on sound, has it changed the way you perceive the world? Like, does your creative practice and how you walk around during the day? Is, is there is there overlap there? Are you just constantly noticing the soundscapes you walk through? I I, I, I guess so. I mean, um, you know, we'd be doing anything or just walking around, you know, even like in a garage, like a parking garage, like at a supermarket, and then you walk by, you hear like, hey, that light is like buzzing weird. Mm-hmm. So sometimes like, you know, I have a little portable recorder in my purse and I'll just like, whip it out and just record it so even like when we're on vacation sometimes i'll just like take out the recorder and just walk around um in case you know we catch something um it can be even anything as simple as even like a door close and open or um yeah a toilet flush i don't know it's crazy but um uh yeah so in a sense i guess um my husband has kind of gotten used to it 
<laughs> like, um, right, it's sort of like, you know, when writers have a little notebook and they're like, oh, I had an idea. I have to write it down right now in the middle of polite conversation. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, if I'm recording, he would go, he would ha- he have to keep quiet for a while. But kind of, uh, I think in a sense, then like, you know, every so often he may, you know, come run to something and he may say, hey, doesn't this sound interesting? You know, this is really interesting, you know, uh, grown here. Oh, hey, this water pump is making a weird like sucking sound mm. that you know it's good to get because you never know like years down the road you know you can like pitch it down or something it could be a part right. of a sound to a monster you know and do you feel like as you started to pursue this career more seriously that you had to kind of train your ear in a particular way was there a sort of an active way you started to rethink sound or or did it just sort of come naturally as you worked on project after project my main thing is like as i'm working on things because you know i feel like what i'm doing besides you know achieving like you know what my vision is is also what the director's the filmmaker's vision is because afterwards that film but um oftentimes you know i try to make it so an audience a regular general audience would feel the same way about, you know, certain sounds or a scene uh, as I do. Um, so more of, like, my concern is, like, does it does a regular person who, like, would see the scene, you know, have the same takeaway of it than what I had intended? So instead of, like, changing my, you know, way of he- listening, it's more about... Um, maybe, you know, I love like getting people's like pulling people in mm. to play things for them. Um, well, now with COVID, because I'm working from home, so I'll be pulling my poor husband over for him to get his opinions on. Um, Unpaid but, intern slash yeah, husband. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, you know, if like uh, in the regular times, you no, know, like um, I would just like get any coworkers um, to come by and like play it and love to get different opinions so that's interesting because it's like it's like one thing you have to control for is your own expertise right and the way to do that is to get someone who doesn't have that expertise to listen to it and make sure it sounds the same yeah because i may want something to sound like creepy like a build-up um to something but if people Mm -hmm. don't feel that way then it doesn't matter or like say in Cinderella, um, those the three mites they start singing along to Rhythm Nation, and so I just took like a bunch of like um, different mouse recordings and pitched them around to make them sound like they're singing along. <laughs> so, you know, I may just get people in to play it for them. I was like, hey. Does it sound like Rhythm Nation to you? Because after a long time, if you've been listening to it nonstop, it would just sound like it to yourself. Right. But right. maybe not to others. Yeah. I feel like there comes a point in most creative processes where you get so deep into whatever it is that you're working on that you kind of can't see it anymore. Yeah. And, and figuring out how to 
you know, get someone else to see it or, you know, walk away from it long enough so you can see it again or trick yourself into seeing it differently. You know, like some writers change the font to a really ugly font. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So That's they funny. can see the actual word choices again because they're just used to being in Helvetica or whatever. And so they'll change it to Comic Sans. Wow. Just to disrupt their way of thinking. Wow. But, you know, yeah, it's like you get so really deep cool. into something, you can't even tell what you're doing anymore and you need help. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you yeah, know, whichever that gets the no kind of want to make sure that i'm not thinking it i'm that i'm not overthinking something that you know right no one gets it <laughs> and of course at some point you have to present this work to an actual to your actual collaborator so the editor to the director you know things like that we talk a lot about collaboration uh, uh on this show and i'm interested i mean obviously sometimes the the different cooks in this particular stew might disagree, right? A director might say, hey, I don't think this is working. And, and you might not necessarily think the direction they want to go is correct or, right. you know, whatever it is. How, how do you think about or handle disagreement within the collaborative process? Yeah, I guess like say, you know, what, except say, for example, like um, I would have done like a in the sci-fi movie, I may have done an iris shape. Uh, like a, a round door with a it's almost like an iris that opens and mm-hmm. closes and um, you know I may have done a sound for it but the filmmaker may go yeah no I don't know that's too sci-fi um, I want it more like um, in aliens you know that's what I remember I was like okay I'll still do my due diligence and you know to, to research and do what they want and you know, because sometimes some things are like so long ago that in their memory is different yeah, than what totally. the real thing is. Then I may then take that idea because the you know the old sound isn't quite like slick as slick as how we like to be. But then I figured, okay, so it's more about say metals rubbing each against each other like a. Like scrapey sound, um, so I'll do my own version of that. Mm. Um, so in a sense, then we may kind of meet like halfway. Well, thank you so much once again for uh, joining us this week to tell us all about your process. Sure, it's been fun. So yeah, got some uh, good tips from you, like from writers. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
This is such a silly question, but you mentioned at the top of the interview that most people don't really understand what sound editing and mixing is. And I'll admit that I am in that party. I don't 100% understand what it is either, although I certainly understand it better now. How well did you understand the field before going into this interview? I mean, I sort of understood it. I think that people don't understand it because it is genuinely confusing. The sound departments, <laughs> particularly on big budget movies, they have a lot of different jobs within the sound department, a lot of different people who are working on things, you know, from the Foley artists who are the people making the actual effects to the on-set mixers who are the people mixing the audio that the camera is capturing, the editors who are supervising the entire soundscape, mixers who are putting it all together. You know, I did this article for Slate on why every male actor talks like this and uh when i did that piece i interviewed an audio mixer to ask him about how it all works so i got some sense of those jobs a bit um cameron and i really wanted to book a sound related guest and so mm -hmm. through researching that process i had to learn a, a lot more about it then that's awesome um sort of related to that i'm curious if there is like a sound that really made a movie for you. Like I think a lot of us will think about the music in a movie and that's like a lot easier to kind of register, but sounds are kind of tougher to parse out, but sometimes can be really impactful if used in the right way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I used to dabble in sound design for theater. So this is the kind of question I really, okay, really brag. enjoy. I'm going to, uh, I mean, I wasn't good at it, but I did dabble <laughs> in it. Um, I am going to go with the low budget horror film Session 9. Have you, have you ever seen Session 9, Karen? No, I have not. Okay, so this is a movie, came out in 2000, one shot on digital video like very not great digital video <laughs> low budget movie starring josh lucas and david caruso and it is effing terrifying even though you almost never see anything scary happen in it like it is all just done with sound with the layering of sound Whoa. effects with creepy voiceover and it really takes like its budgetary limitations like you can imagine they probably didn't have a ton of money for special effects right and uh it does as much as they can within it it's about this hazmat crew who is cleaning the asbestos out of an abandoned insane asylum so it can be turned into condos and oh just like God. the sonic world of that insane asylum sort of starts to drive them crazy. Hello. Good. Cody? It's me, man. Come on. I first discovered it because I was working as an assistant director on a play that was about hauntings and our mm -hmm. fascination with horror. And the sound designer was like, this is the thing that I am using wow. as the template for this. We all watched it and it freaked the bejesus out of, out of all of us. So I highly recommend it. I will definitely look it up. That sounds, well, I'm like a huge weenie, so maybe I won't. But anyway, your argument is compelling. Watch it with the lights on. I really loved what Lee said about looking up who sound editors that she liked were like when she was just starting out and like finding out where they worked and writing these unsolicited emails to introduce herself as she tried to break into the industry, at least in media or a lot of jobs now that's no longer really a way to get a job like if you do that it's like unwelcome almost and I'm curious if you've ever done that to try to get a job and I'm guessing maybe not since you sounded really surprised when she told you that she tried that yeah, I mean, I think it's a good reminder that her career started in the mid 90s, which is when mm -hmm. I think is like the last moment that you could do something yeah. like that. Now it feels like, you know, in Arrested Development, when Tobias is sending the headshots 
uh, yeah. to the casting agents and he's putting glitter in. He's leaving notes that say things like, see my show or I'll kill your family. You know, yeah. like I think it feels like that because now thanks to email, we get so many unsolicited requests yeah. for, for things. Um, I did do this once actually though. In 2002, I wrote letters to a bunch of directors to see if anyone needed assistance. And I will say I did wind up getting a job from it with a guy who was legitimately nuts and it was a really uh horrible experience so oh, i no. never did it again um wow. and so i was i was happy to hear that someone did that and it worked and it actually set them on their right their life's path i mean i find that really charming and, and wonderful that it worked out for her like that you have to tell me more about this job later um but for now with regards to this interview i thought that your question about quote-unquote compressed deadlines was so <laughs> funny and i'm curious if you are someone who works better under that kind of pressure or if you appreciate having like a longer lead time I guess my feeling is, is that every project has like a sweet spot or like maybe a mm -hmm. range that isn't so long. You go completely off the deep end with research and preparation and fiddling about and fussing over every single decision, but it's not so short that you feel like all your creative choices are happening under duress, you know? Yeah. So in other words, I just don't think it's about like tight deadlines or long deadlines. It's actually relative to each specific project i mean of course you know this karen in freelance writing the deadline is always at least a little bit sooner than yep. that sweet spot right it's a, yep. at least a little bit but i also find if i have too much lead time i just go way overboard and i get all my head about it and it gets really hard to figure oh, out what's going you on. overthink overthink i'm uh, and especially over research because i was like well oh. i have the time to become an authority in this yeah. so now i'm going to do that and, and it never leads anywhere good yeah I'm curious about about you. What do, what do, what do you think? Because you're having one of your first experiences with the really long deadline, yeah, as opposed to the really short deadlines of of freelance writing. Well, I've talked a little bit about this before, but it's been helpful to have the chapter deadlines. Like I've had a deadline every month to make sure that I've finished X amount of writing, um, and that's been really helpful. I I operate pretty well under pressure. I don't like it when it's extreme pressure, even though like I still will get the work done. It just it's the same principle of like, I like doing work, but I don't like doing it when it stresses me out. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. <laughs> where it's like, that's the kind of workhorse where I am, where it's like, I enjoy doing it, but I want to be enjoying doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also really liked what Lee said about liking directors who think more outside the box with regard to like the reference points that they told her to look for in creating these sounds. As a director yourself, I do you think of yourself as someone who thinks outside of the box? Like, do you put together like these mood boards like for your cast and crew or anything like that? I mean, it's been a long time since I've directed now. It's been uh -huh. a few years. So with that that caveat, you know, no, I'm not a mood board guy. I respond really well to them and I want them from my gotcha. designers. Um, what I thought was really smart about that in terms of reference points is, you know, you're really allowing yourself to be open to influence without being derivative. So they're not looking at other outer space movies. They're looking at submarine movies. They're looking yeah. at things that are related. So, you know, I might be like, oh, I love the rumpled shirts of all the president's men or, you know, something like oh, that's a movie <laughs> that I, I love the look of that movie yeah. and how all the people are dressed in it. But, you know, that might be for a project that has nothing to do with politics or, or journalism. I mean, right. references give you something concrete. You know, we can mm -hmm. get so obsessed with originality that we forget that you need something concrete to hold on to, particularly collaboratively. You know, yeah. like if I just said to you, well, I want it to sound claustrophobic. Well, what does claustrophobic mean to you versus what it means to me? Who knows? Yeah, but if fair. I say I want it to sound like 
the claustrophobia of Das Boot, you know, then there's something there that we can hold on to. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say, you know, when you propose a nonfiction book, you know, when you're writing a book proposal, you have to do that for the editors and for the various <laughs> people who have to sign off on the book. You have to have your list. With any of, book, not just nonfiction. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. But you have to have your list of comp titles. These are the books that are like my book. And you want to craft that list often with your agent in a way that's like, these are similar, but I'm not doing the exact same thing. I'm doing the this of that or, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. and, and, and part of that's for very mercenary sales reasons, but part of that's because like I'm describing something that doesn't exist yet. And so the easiest way for me to communicate it to you is to give you a list of things that do exist that it will remind you of. And to jump from the beginning of the process to kind of the thick of it, you talk about how sometimes like when you're writing and editing, like one more, you you think, if I see one more comma, I'm going to jump out the window. How do you take breaks from your work and how do you stop yourself from doing that? Can you tell that I was in copy edits when I did that uh, interview? (laughs) Um, I mean, first of all, there's just life stuff. I have a dog. I have a child. I have dinner to cook. You know, those Mm -hmm. create natural breaks. And I, I became a writer after all that stuff was, was true for the most part, you know, like if I were like a single 23 year old and I was in my room all the time and I complete control over my time or, you know, whatever, I don't know how I would, I would have to create a structure, but Mm -hmm. like my life is creating a structure for me. I will also say like, as a freelancer, I've got four jobs, you know? So sometimes a break is actually, I'm not working on my book anymore. I'm working on this podcast, but also it's okay to sit down and play video games. Like that is like returnal, it's hard. It's so I still haven't gotten past I the stopped first biome. Because I got so frustrated. I know, I know, but it's so good. Um, but like, you know, you need time for your brain to shut off. You need time for your brain to be distracted, to think about other things. I, I will also say, big fan of the power nap, big fan of uh, you know, lying down for 20 minutes, setting a timer for 20 minutes lying down, waking up, drinking a glass of water and getting right back to work. I actually think that that sort of stuff really helps. I actually did that before a marathon recording session today. I'm very jealous because I feel like really there are two types of people in the world. There's A, like naps work for you and B, naps don't work for you. And for me, naps just don't work. Whenever I wake up, I'm just like, oh, I feel like crap. Really? Um, Even if you like only do it for 20 minutes? Yeah. If you set a timer? Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter. Well, then don't, don't nap. Don't nap. And what do you what do you do when you hit that point where you're too far into a piece of work? Because I think the feeling that you describe is something that we're all familiar with, albeit probably in some smaller ways where it's like if you say a word so many times, it doesn't sound like it's a real word anymore. You know, sometimes you just got to step away. Like it really you have to forgive yourself when it's okay and you need to take time off and you need to goof off or watch a movie or do something fun or you know, if it's a big project, maybe there's other work you have to do like write emails to your interview subjects or you know, read an article. You just have to have faith that your sense of the project will return to you and to not panic and to be kind to yourself in those moments mm-hmm. to just recognize like, "Oh my god, I'm so swimming in it." I've just lost all sight of this thing. I just need to, I just need to take a walk or whatever. Yeah. What, what what do you do? Um, weirdly, I feel like I haven't really hit that point yet um, with any of the things that I've been working on. But generally, um, thinking about that feeling, I would say that your advice is pretty much spot on. Like doing something else for a while is really the only way to step away from it, literally, <laughs> and figure out how to reapproach it when you come back. 
right, that is our show for the week. And if you enjoyed it, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and then you'll never miss an episode. And now let me tell you how awesome a Slate Plus membership is. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, full access to all the articles on Slate.com, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and How to Do It, and it's only $1 for the first month. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Eileen Lee, and thanks as ever to our wonderful producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week with June's conversation with curator Deborah Schmidt-Bach. Until then, get back to work. <laughs>